recap as we're jumping back in. So it's been a couple weeks. We're coming back to the storyline of Joseph. Um, as we left off, that's why I had Mark read that last little bit of chapter 42, just to keep you up to date. But let me give you just this little list of what has taken place and where, we're, where we were left off. Simeon is being held hostage. The brothers are very fearful because of the money found in the sacks when they return to their father. They cannot return without Benjamin. They were warned by who they refer to as the man, which is Joseph. Jacob has said he will absolutely not allow for Benjamin to go, period. And they are quickly running out of provisions that they had brought back from Egypt from their last visit. And Israel... Now, really quick, if you're visiting this morning, I'm going to be saying Israel and Jacob, Israel and Jacob. Same dude, okay? Um, His name has been changed to Israel. uh, But if you're visiting and maybe you're not as familiar with the Old Testament Scripture, I'm referring to a person, not a nation, when I say Israel throughout this, this study, all right? This is a specific individual, Jacob, whose God has changed his name to Israel, So they're quickly running out of provisions from their last visit, and Israel is already bereaved and unwilling unwilling to risk any more of his children. If you look at verse 35 of 42, as Mark just read for us, as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack, and and when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, "'You have bereaved me of my children.'" Remember, he's speaking to his children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead. And he is the only one left. If harm should happen to me or to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring him, bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. You see really the favoritism, the high favoritism going on here. The two sons from his beloved Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph is now gone. Did you hear his language? Benjamin, all I will, I will only have him left. Well, there's a bunch of sons standing around him, right? But no, no, nonetheless, they're the only ones that I will have left. I heard one commentator, or heard as I was reading this week, he said, you can, you can sense a little bit of the old Jacob squeak out. A little bit of Jacob is coming out of Israel, if you will, when he says, all these bad things happen to me. Why me? Why me? Now, what's interesting, and just a side note, Jacob is bereaved and sad in his heart because of the apparent circumstances around him. The apparent circumstances around him have have brought great grief and sadness. Simultaneously, God is doing an incredible work in Joseph and Benjamin and Jacob and all of his kids. Okay? Just let that settle. Perhaps you perceive and I perceive our circumstances wrongly. And the Lord is doing a marvelous work in our midst. And in that very moment, we say, woe is me. Just a thought. All right. So, chapter 43. Jacob says, absolutely no, you're not going. I'm not losing Benjamin too. Verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, 
their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judas said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly? Here, the poor me aspect. So badly as to tell the man that you had another brother. They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would, not have, we would have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, a little myrrh, a little gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, almonds, and a dark, rich roast. Because <clears throat> we all know they're drinking coffee. Okay, so take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. And then this one probably was hard for him to get out of his mouth. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. But then a prayer from Israel. May God Almighty, El Shaddai, grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your brother, send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So in this first chunk of this chapter, my hope is to go through the whole chapter, but we'll see where we are. Um, I can promise you this, if we don't finish the chapter, we'll pick up where we left off today. But in in this first chunk, the first 14, 15 verses, they come to conclusions that we need to go back. We need to send you back. Jacob says, I need to send you back. Think about how high the stakes are. So here's Jacob, here's his other sons, and here's his grandkids, the sons and daughters of his sons. As he looks around and he's starting to notice that the food is starting to go away. There's not as, as much provision as there was before. Everything starts to look like it's uh, getting kind of dangerous. And on top of the food going away, it says that the famine is severe. So the severity of the famine, there's no food to be had. My kids are going to starve. Well, Dad, you know there is an option. Now, I don't think they did that. Because I believe this became somewhat of a taboo subject in which Jacob had said, absolutely no. 
no way, no way will you go. I'm not losing Joseph. I'm, I'm not going to just lose Joseph and Simeon. And now you want, me, you want me to lose Benjamin, my baby? No, no way. And so I kind of doubt that these brothers every day were saying, hey, Dad, cupboards are kind of empty. I, I don't think they were having that kind of, a, kind of a conversation. Rather, it's a taboo subject. And so it's up to Jacob to look around at his family and to make a decision. So he comes to the boys, and I find it fascinating. He doesn't really give a line of argument or anything. He just says, go down and get it. If you look at verse 2, it says, When they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah steps up. A few rungs down in the birth order, and if you track down the brothers that aren't, not taking the lead here. It's not that hard to figure out why they really aren't taking the lead here in their stumblings and in their fallings morally, as well as Simeon being in the slammer. And so Judah steps up, and he says, the man, isn't it interesting? These brothers are calling this little pipsqueak that they threw in a pit, the man now. The irony is screaming throughout this storyline. Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we're not going. So in the, here's, the, here's the impasse that they're coming to. Jacob is saying, I want you to go get the food, bring back provisions, and take care of everybody. Dad, the man said, No go. If you come and you don't have Benjamin, you don't have the, the youngest, you are not going back. This is, this is over. And so, isn't this fascinating that they have a high fear of their father, a high fear of dying by starvation, and a high fear of the man? Back and forth. They're like a pinball machine, bouncing between all these fears among all these people. Dad, the man, starvation, what are we supposed to do? And so Judah belabors the point to his father and says, Dad, we're all going to die if we don't do this. So, and this is a pretty remarkable move. It really is. Judah says, I take full responsibility for him. You can take him, my hand, I'm in charge. And if something happens to them, then I, I take full responsibility, whatever that means. Now, here's the tricky part, you guys. Something is happening in our study that there's a transition that if we miss it, I think we're missing a big part of the text. There's a transition going on in the character of the brothers throughout the rest of the storyline. So up to this point, uh, perhaps you, you and I, we've had a very negative connotation with the brothers of Joseph. And rightly so. These guys have been scoundrels thus far. But I cannot find in this text any evil in the heart of Judah in this proposition to his father. Rather, I see him acting courageously and taking a lead among his brothers to say, let me go back. If we don't go back without Benjamin, there's no reason to go back. So let me go back with Benjamin, but I will take full responsibility for him. I mean, he he really does step in front of the rest. Makes me think of Peter when he told Jesus, I don't know about the rest of these, but even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now, he did deny him and fell on his face. We know that. But nonetheless, a gutsy move in the moment. 
And so here's Judah saying, I will take full responsibility. I will do this. Let me go. And let me take my brother. And then there's this little pocket, I'm not going to spend much time on it, where, where, where Jacob says, why did you even tell him about, about Benjamin? Why did you even bring it up? Why would you do this to me? And their question or their response is pretty evident. This is what's kind of cool. It's like watching a movie where we know what's going on, but the characters in the movie don't know what's going on. And so the man is Joseph. And here in the text where he's, he's speaking, he's saying, but he asked me all these particulars about you and all these particulars about uh, our, our birth order and the youngest. And, and Dad, we're just answering his questions. You cannot hold us at fault. What do you do when the second-in-command in Egypt asks you pointed questions? You've got to answer him. So we just told him the answers. They have, Judah has honest answers for Jacob in the text. He's being an honest man here. He's not holding back. He's not trying to pull one over on his father. He's genuinely saying, Dad, we did the best we could, and now we wish to go. And let me be the man that takes responsibility. If you look at verse 8, And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. He shows how high the stakes are. And so Jacob does a very interesting thing, and, not, and something that's not out of his character. He says, okay, then go. But when you go, I want you to take double the money that you got, all right? And and I want you to take a gift. Okay, I want you to take a gift. Let's pool up as much as we can out of our provisions to seek to put all that together. And I want you to send that or take that with you and give that to them there. Give it to this man. I want you to show a sign of good faith. Now, we've seen Jacob do this before. Remember with Esau? As he put these provisions in front of him as he was going to go and re-meet or meet again with Esau, he wants to give his best foot forward. Now, You could look at this and go, man, what a suck-up. I don't think that's what's happening here. I truly don't. I think what's happening here is Jacob is showing very good wisdom, courage, and faith. Wisdom, courage, and faith. He's showing wisdom in that it's a proper thing to do to an official to present them with a gift. It's courageous because he's saying, this is risky, but let's do it. But also faith, because did you hear the last statement he made? If I'm bereaved of my children, then I'm bereaved. Remember what Job said after he lost his kids? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jacob has reached a point where his answer is, go and put the very, very best foot forward, and then I'll just deal with the results that God sees fit to give me. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a little nugget there that I don't want, don't want us to go by too quickly. He's going to get what the Lord gives to him, period. But there's a vast difference between receiving it from him begrudgingly and receiving it from him in a sense of surrender and acceptance of the Lord's will. Because the Lord is going to do what the Lord is going to do. How do you respond to what he does? in your heart of hearts. Do you begrudge that? Do you rejoice in the sovereign king doing his fine-tuning? 
And so I can only imagine Jacob has a bit of the same sense Abraham did when he sacrificed or attempted to sacrifice Isaac, where, okay, this is the right thing to do, this is what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to be sleeping too much while you're gone. But I will trust in what's happening here. Look down at the text. He tells them, I'm not going to read through this again, but tells them what exactly they should do in reference to the gift that they should take. And then finally he says, and take your brother also. May God Almighty, so he calls down a blessing on his sons, grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your brother, your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Now notice verse 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men to dine with me at noon. So here's Joseph watching the brothers come forward. And as I said a few weeks ago, he knows the gait of his brothers. He, he recognized them from a distance as they're coming. Joseph looks out and he sees them. And I can't help but think as he sees them, he counts. One, two, three. They did it. They brought him with them. And it doesn't tell us in this text. It tells us in just a couple more verses. But I cannot help but think that there was some sort of profound movement in the heart of Joseph. As for the first time in 20 plus years, his eyes were laid on his full kin brother, uh, Benjamin. So much so that his response to the steward is not shackle them up until we do business. <laughs> Rather, what he says, I want you to slaughter the animal, I want you to make a feast, and we're going to dine. We're going to eat. Um, makes me think of the prodigal son, his return, and the father says, let's kill the fattened calf, let's prepare, let's, let's bring them in with this great joy. That has very much the tone, this text very much has that same tone of there's excitement. There's, there's a, a sense of joy in what's being brought here. If you look at uh, verse 15, or 16 rather, when Benjamin, uh, Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. <laughs> so, so they don't know what's going on here. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced to our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that we may, he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of his house. I'll explain what they say in just a second. You ever been there before where you have a particular meeting or there's a particular event or, or something that you have to do, quote unquote, have to do, and the whole way there in your heart of hearts you're going, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to face that individual or face that company. I know it's not going to go well. This is going to be hard and severe, but I know I have to. I have no choice. And as you step into it, 
the response is so sweet. You find that the whole thing was a positive, not a negative, that God had gone before you. The Lord showed his kindness and grace in how you received it. Well, these guys right now are in the hot seat, scared to death. As soon as they show up, their desire is, can we talk to the man? Can we show him the younger brother, get our other brother, get some food, and get out of here? And the first thing said by the steward, you need to come on up to the big house because we've got to talk to you. Why would we go to his house? And their thought, I mean, the text it says it with great clarity. They think they're going to get beat up. We're going to be taken captive. We're going to become slaves. They're going to take our donkeys. The whole thing is a great big uh, setup by this, the man, and he's going to set us up, and now he's going to take advantage of us. He's going to hijack us, make us hostages, make us slaves, take everything we brought, take our gift, take the double money we brought, and the whole thing is going to absolutely collapse. These guys must have lived by the idea that if you always have low expectations, you find yourself always pleased. But nonetheless, that was what they had in their mind. So listen to how quick they start speaking to the steward. So they went up to the steward, verse 19, they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. It's, it's one of those where, I mean, you think they rehearsed this at all on the way? <laughs> okay, who's going to do the talking? All right, what are you going to say? And he goes, well, I'm just going to say that, 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 that. No, 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 don't say that. Say it this way. Say it this way. It's going to work a lot better. Remember, Dad put up a lot of money. Dad put up a lot of gifts. All this stuff is here. We want to do this right, the way we approach him. All right? They show up. Uh, yeah, you're coming to his house. Notice they're scared. They don't know that they're going to dine there with him. You're just coming to his home. Their response is they just can't keep it in any longer. The steward, they just have to let it out. Oh, here's what happened. This is what happened. The whole thing. It wasn't our fault in any way, shape, or form. We're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to lie. It's not my fault. I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> Ask me how I know. <clears throat> As they pour out their heart and their confession, again, don't miss the point. Different men. God's changing them. They weren't dishonest here. They're honest here. Judah knows that his life's on the line, but Benjamin's life is on the line. He told Dad, I'll take full responsibility. Now they have all these goods and all this money from their father. They're bringing that to Joseph. And they did not cheat Joseph. In their minds and hearts, they were not seeking to cheat him in any way. And so they just spill out the honest truth. This has happened. Now, what's interesting is the first bit of what you see in these brothers is, is terrible. What they, not only what they do to Joseph, but there's some profound immorality also practiced by these guys. But nonetheless, you get to watch them change before your very eyes. You guys, how, it was 2000, September in 2019 we started this series in Genesis. If you're visiting, yeah, it's what we do. <clears throat> 
But 2019, in September, we started this series. And I will say one of the biggest impacts on me as studier, preparer, preacher has been how awesome it is to see the Lord's work in the transitioning of His people throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. Now, that's true in the New Testament. That's true in our lives as well. But just to watch Abraham and see this man called out of paganism and then see the Lord progressively work in him. But i got to say, probably one of the biggest impacts on me in this study in these four years is Jacob. To see what God did in Jacob. Because all of us heard the story. You probably saw it on a flannel graph when you were a kid. The story of him putting the goat's hair on his arms and tricking dad and all that kind of stuff. Kind of just a little deceiver. But the Lord doesn't say, ugh, done with you. i got to go find somebody who's righteous. No, rather, the Lord takes him in his unrighteousness, clothes him in his righteousness, and then progressively changes him. So chapter after chapter after chapter, verse after verse after verse, you go, this Jacob is a loser. But his God is such a profoundly gracious lover and pursuer. And so I identify with this Jacob guy, and now here we are with his kids. And after they do what they do with Joseph, your first thought is, ugh, done. No, he's not. The Lord is going to do work in them as well, and he is. And so they stand before that that steward with open hands, open hearts, and an honest response. Let's see here. Verse 23. I really, really doubt they expected this to be what came out of the mouth of the steward. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Jaw-dropping in that moment. The drama of that moment for them to be so scared and shaking before this steward. Oh, man, we didn't mean this. We didn't mean this. And first thing out of his mouth, peace. Peace to you. But then he goes one step farther. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Then he goes another step farther. Remember, they're in Egypt here, okay? But their response to say, your God and the God of your father has been kind to you, has been gracious to you, has given this treasure to you. I received the money, and then his brother is brought out to them. Grace upon grace poured out on these nasty guys. Verse 24, and when the man had brought the men into, into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. I was thinking the title of this sermon should be High Noon, but I didn't go with that. So, so here they are, 
they've made the present ready. We, we, want, we want presentation is everything, right? So let's make the present, presentation to be very, very good. Let's have it look as nice as we can before the man because he's coming. We're now in his home. Water's been brought. They wash their feet. They clean up. Remember, dusty, nasty, dry circumstances that they've been traveling and traveling through. And so they get to clean up. The present is ready. And the man is coming at noon to meet these men. Look at what they do in his presence. 26. When Joseph came home... They brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and the sheaves and the stars bowed down to him to the ground. I cannot help but think that every time Joseph saw his brother's knees and faces touch the ground, to have a, a, a sweet, fresh affirmation. God told me that was going to happen. As Joseph, as a, as a 17-year-old young man, runs and goes, I had a dream. And his brothers all said what? Nobody cares. But he said, no, no, let me tell you the dream. Let me tell you the dream. It's a pretty awesome dream. There's all these sheaves, and, and your sheaves were all bowing down to my sheep. Then a second dream. There's these stars and the moon and the sun, and they all bow down to me as well. And the brothers are irate. They just can't believe the, 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 the stupidity of this young guy and the arrogance of this young guy. How dare you bring that to us? And Jacob even gives a little pushback to, to um, rebuke him, and yet the Scripture says what? Jacob kept this in mind. Jacob also has received special precious revelation from the Lord. So why would he cut off his son from having the same thing? And so he kept it in his mind. And then Joseph is taken and put through the ringer. And now after 20 years, boom, here he is. And the boys' face and knees touch the ground in front of the man. See, God's promises, our God is a God of promise. The promises of Almighty God are always, always, always are perfectly fulfilled and satisfied. They just happen in his way at his time. So this is what's so tricky, beloved, is when you come into the New Testament, I wasn't planning on going here, but Raj, you started it. When you think about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, and you stop and ponder and you go, man, Jesus said in Revelation uh, 22, behold, I'm coming again quickly. My quickly and his quickly look a lot different than one another. But his quickly is the quickly. And so Dan Mason, surrender to his quickly. Jesus will return at the moment he has decided he will return. And you can guess what year that will be and then write a book and then write another one in the next 10 years like so many have done. The truth is we surrender to the fulfillment of the promise on his terms. Jesus Christ will return when Jesus Christ will return. Until then, like my brother Dennis pointed out this week, the main press on all of us is to live a godly life in Christ Jesus and be prepared for the return of your Savior. But when I see the promise of God in this dream that he revealed to Joseph and then all that he went through, here's the thing we must remember, beloved. Nothing was wasted in that time. 
But the Lord, so the Lord's not wasting time or seeking to burn up time before he fulfills his promise. He has glorious plans and work all throughout the time prior to the, uh, the promise being fulfilled. And so Joseph, I would really doubt Joseph would go, man, 20 plus years, really? I had to wait that long? No, rather what happens is as somebody grows in the Lord, they gain wisdom to see the importance of everything the Lord put them through to get them to that point. So when you look behind you, you say, not the path I would have selected. But the sovereign of the universe has, and he's brought me to this point, and now he's completely satisfied that promise he gave in those two dreams. And so, Father, once again afresh, I surrender. I am not God. You are God. Now, that's a lot. And I want to be careful not to say that that is what is in the mind of Joseph. I'm just saying I would find it so hard for him not to consider those dreams when he sees his brother's faces on the ground. But there's something so sweet in particular that happens here. Look down at your Bible. When Joseph came home, verse 26, they brought into the house to him the present, and they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? Oh, there's so much drama there. There's so much emotion in his heart that they are so unaware of. 28. They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? Now listen to what he says here. It's very interesting. God be gracious to you, my son. Uh, Some folks uh, brought up in a commentary again this week that I thought was an interesting point. They brought up the point that he's not old enough to be a father to Benjamin, so what's he doing here? Well, perhaps it's just a statement he's making because there's still a, a disguise going on here as him as this ruler as he speaks to Benjamin. But this was not, beloved, this was not a mere um, greeting, like a formal greeting or something just, you know what I'm saying? It's not him just saying, oh, you, my son. <laughs> no, he, there's, a, there's a deep-seated emotion in the heart of this man. After 20-plus years, he lays eyes, there he is. That's him. That's, that's Benjamin. Look at this guy. Look at what, look at what the Lord's been building in this young man. That's him. I doubt that he had this planned in his mind to say out loud, to call the Lord's grace down upon this young guy, his precious sweet brother. Did he notice that he's got mom's eyes, mom's hair color? Did he look a lot like Rachel? And so when he saw him, there's all this emotion that bubbles up where he thinks about his own mother. I don't know. One thing I do know, he couldn't hang out there long. Look at 30. Then Joseph hurried out. For his compassion grew warm. I chased that phrase quite a bit this, in the study, looking at all the different English translations, seeking to understand what's happening in that passage. 
his compassion grew warm. ESV is kind of a, a funny translation in that, and yet it is one of the most literal interpretations or translations of what's being said here in the Hebrew, that his emotion was heated. Um, his affections were stirred. I'm trying to remember the other translations, just what they said. I didn't jot them down. But the idea was that this guy was cut to the quick emotionally when he laid eyes on Benjamin. It was moving. It's, a, it's the, one of the sweetest reunions Joseph has ever experienced in all of his life so far. To see his sweet baby brother there in front of him And we're told that he's so moved, he runs out of the room. He's got to go somewhere else and cry. It says he left, went somewhere else, and as he's there, he's just weeping, just mourning. But it's a a mix, right? There's a sadness. Oh, so much time is lost, but there's a sweetness. He's there. Look at him. That's my brother. And in that moment, you just picture the shoulders shaking and the snot rolling, and they're just sobbing. He cannot control himself. Did he even excuse himself? Or was it a quick run out of the room, and the brothers are looking at each other going, what was that all about? They don't know. They don't know. And so he fled and entered his chamber, and he wept there. 31. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So what's going on there is the Hebrews would slaughter and eat animals that were considered sacred to the Egyptians. And so what they did, they would have a a separate eating location for the Egyptians and the Hebrews. So the Hebrews are going to be over there, he's going to be over here. So you have the cultural thing going on, but also this really plays in well for him trying to keep his distance from them because he doesn't want them to stumble upon who he is just yet. So as they're over there, he's over here, they're eating, and they do some other things as well. Look down. 33, and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. So they are seated according to their birth order, and they cannot figure out how could he do that. Now, um, this, this is a very interesting uh, point. This is from um, Morris's commenta- commentary. He says, After they were assigned to seats at their table, the eleven brothers noted a remarkable thing. They had been seated in order of age, from the eldest through the youngest. If this were a mere coincidence, it was indeed marvelous. One can easily show merely by multiplying together all the numbers from 1 through 11 that there are no less than 39,917,000 different orders in which 11 individuals could have been seated. Flip a coin, right? Thus, for the servant to select the one correct order by chance was almost impossible the odds were 40 million to one against it. 
Evidently, this man knew a great deal more about their family than they had realized, or else he had some kind of supernatural power. They had no answer and could only wonder about it. Now, what I find interesting is that the brothers catch this. They notice this as they sit in that order. They look around and go, that is weird. That's weird. How would he know? How could he do this? That, okay, perhaps, uh, you know, what do we say in our culture? What a coincidence. Yeah, I'm sure it is. All right. 34. Love this. One of my favorite, as a younger brother, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with them. Five times the portion. <laughs> the, the, the comedic aspect of this is just is stellar. To think of the brothers as they get their portions, and then I don't know if they serve from oldest to youngest. I'm not sure how all that worked. But eventually, the brothers are seated there. Benjamin's seated there. And you see, it's like the lunch lady, right? And the brothers are over there going, uh, when's she going to stop this? This is insane. And Benjamin's sitting over there, grinning from ear to ear. I was was thinking of my own Benji, thinking about what that would look like and how happy he would be. As five times the portion was, was put in front of the youngest brother. What do you make of that? Text doesn't say, so there's some freedom to try to think about what's going on there. Here's a couple things that my brain kind of goes to. Number one, is it possible there's a pinch of favoritism in Joseph towards Benjamin? You think? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some of that. But I think there's more than that, actually. Here's some questions that I I was thinking about in reference to the storyline of what we're going through. These are questions Joseph thought to himself prior to their coming back. Were these the same men that tormented me and sold me? Had they grown in any maturity? Are they still a ruthless and jealous group? Just a pile of selfish men that would take their own brother and do harm to him to save their own skin? How could I find out what kind of men these men are? And so I think, in part, the double portions is to see what the reaction is in the minds of the brothers. I want to see how they respond. I want to see how they react when they see that double portion, that five times portion for him. What amazes me, probably the most amazing piece for Dan in the study thus far, is that Joseph's reaction is not immediate vengeance. Because human nature tells us once you get that sweet revenge opportunity, oh, you take it, right? Get back at those guys. He had the opportunity, okay? He had the opportunity. But he didn't take the opportunity. Rather, he kept one brother, let all the brothers go back with donkeys full of provisions and said, bring back your younger brother. Now, that's putting them in the hot seat. But according to Joseph, that's not necessarily what he's doing. He's not trying to do harm, okay? But he keeps one brother, sends all the brothers back with a ton of food for all the rest of the family. Now they come back. 
lays eyes on Benjamin, first thought, let's slaughter the animal, let's get food ready and bring them in, and let's enjoy a feast together. But he still is leaving a window open to see what is going on in his brothers. And so here's a question I want you to consider with me, all right? Joseph, through a series of tests, is seeking to see if there has been any change in the character of his brothers. He does not immediately move towards revenge or quote-unquote justice. No, he is graciously allowing for a window of time for the Lord to restore that which has been broken. Beloved, you are watching a shattered family in the Old Testament throughout this storyline. Death, lies, deception, trickery. You you follow the whole storyline from Abraham all the way up here to Joseph, and you will see so much debauchery and sin and lies and grace. I just It moves my heart so much to think of how bad they are and how good he is. And then I pick up the mirror, and there's the clarity. This is not a storyline of God helping out pretty good people. There's a storyline of the sovereign of the universe by his own discretion, his own choice to pour his love out on undeserving fallen sinners. That's the storyline of the gospel. The gospel is not you helping him help you. The gospel is him coming to people who are spiritually dead and bringing them to new life. And so when I look at the brothers and I get a judgmental spirit, I have to say, Dan, hold on a second. You are those brothers. That's like when you go through the storyline with David and Goliath and you go, well, I'm David. No, no, you're not. You're the Philistine. You're the one in need of grace. You're the one that is absolutely in desperate need for the kindness and the love of the God of the universe. So what has happened in this man, in Joseph, that he would enable this kind of action. Here's my thought. Joseph has tasted the sweet grace of God. Just look at the names of his two kids. There is a beautiful principle found in this whole narrative. Those who have received great mercy and grace are the ones most merciful and gracious those are, to those around them and even to those who have harmed them. The grace of God is active in Jacob. The grace of God is active in the brothers. The grace of God is active in Joseph. The Lord is in their midst accomplishing his good purpose, pouring grace out upon them. But that principle is what I leave you with this morning. Those who've been forgiven much love much. Beloved, if you are a Christian this morning, you're saved you're born again, all those fun Christianese words from our Bible. If your salvation is solid as a rock in Jesus Christ and you've been forgiven all of the penalty of your sin because Jesus absorbed all the penalty of your sin, I have a question for you and I'm asking me this too. Who could we hold our grudge against? Who could we um, withhold grace from? If anybody had a good argument for getting sweet revenge, it'd be Joseph. 
but you're not going to see it. In a few weeks, you'll see, well, okay, a few months, you'll see Joseph's dad's going to die. And the brothers are so scared again. Now he gets his sweet revenge. And Joseph's profound theological understanding of God enables him to pour grace upon his brothers. Theology matters and has repercussions for what you believe about Almighty God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.